back to the Coaches Rising podcast. And in the conversation today, I'm going to be speaking with Samuel Bonder. And I never thought I'd be speaking to Samuel Bonder on this podcast. But we connected on LinkedIn a couple of months back and he let me know he'd got into the field of coaching, which I was like, wow, that's interesting because I've always known Samuel's work through his work as a spiritual teacher. He created the school Waking Down in Mutuality. And so we're going to explore in this conversation today his journey into the field of coaching and I, why many of the facets of his work from Waking Down are actually very applicable in the work he does as a coach. And we'll tie that to, uh, you know, the need, the necessity in these times for us as coaches and leaders, the leaders that we work with, to access not just their doingness, but also their beingness. Samuel will refer to the McKinsey article, I think, that has highlighted the necessity for us to access different modes of beingness um, in uh, to act to uh, to unleash a different kind of leadership that the world needs. And so, we'll be exploring how Samuel has found some of the more spiritual concepts or aspects of his work are actually um, very applicable in in the work he does as a coach. Samuel, it's great to be with you on the podcast. It's um, unexpected in a way, but I'm really delighted to be having this conversation with you today. How's things? Um, things are, are, are going fairly well. Thank you. Uh, and uh, what I mean by that will, will come up and, you know, at least one of the questions, how did, how did I get here into the coaching field? Uh, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm guardedly optimistic, uh, both for um, the fuller success of my own mission, which I am happy to share with my wife and full partner, Linda Groves Bonder, uh, and the same guarded optimism for, uh, I guess I could say, I'm, I'm stronger optimism long term. Um, a little more guarded short term for all of us together, getting through everything we've got to get through to become a sane human global civilization. That's a big yeah. project. Yeah. Um, so maybe you could just say like uh, something about the kind of people you're working with now and, you know, what are you helping them to become in the work you're doing? Well, basically we're, you know, we're, uh, we're continuing on and, you know, uh, it's not that waking down, waking down in mutuality or the white hot yoga of the heart are now kind of obsolete expressions. Um, they're very much front and center, but uh, more and more we're, we're couching uh, the, the language that we're leading with. You know, not in terms that are necessarily immediately uh, workable, but we're certainly not saying, and we're not wanting people to think, well, I've got to become a spiritual seeker in order for this to be viable for me. Now, I'm not yet working with that many people. Uh, I haven't really met that disposition. And we'll see if I ever do wind up talking to, to folks 
who are of that disposition. But uh, which the, disposition you mean? Like uh, you know, I, I, I'm not interested in spirituality. I just I just need to realize my own fullest potential. But yeah. you know, I, I you know, thank you, but no, I, I don't want to meditate. Well, you know, as a matter of fact, I mean, you know, Mark Benioff has uh, whole floors in his Salesforce towers <laughs> that are devoted to meditation and mindfulness. And you and I were talking before we started recording of, uh, uh, you know, I, I mentioned to you this um, article in the, in the McKinsey Quarterly, McKinsey and Company, the renowned consultancy to the Fortune 50 and 100, 500, et cetera. Uh, worldwide, who, you know, the CEOs they're talking to are saying, you know, I'm having to learn during the pandemic, I'm having to learn how to elevate to be to the same level of importance in my life and our whole organization as to do, which is, you know, an outrageous uh, shift in orientation. It still doesn't automatically connote as I am a spiritual person. So, you know, to me, and, you know, they're having to learn how to become more vulnerable, almost ministerial, more like coaches to help their people through. They can't just give dictates and have it all be obeyed and, and so forth. So those are the kind of people, you know, who, who I'm looking to work with more and more. And the kind of people who I am working with are themselves uh, coaches, I would say most of them either are coaches or are in that kind of orientation to people they serve. Um, they're uh, people with their own missions that they are more or less actively engaged in bringing into the world. Uh, and a key piece of this that, that I think makes the work viable is that I, or sometimes Linda and I co-coach people together, um, we meet them right where they are, you know, in what their value systems are, and we help them go through, you know, in many cases, a, a kind of a signal readiness for our kind of help, is that people are moving into some sort of transformation maybe announcing itself in their business, their work, or their service. Uh, we need them to have decision-making power. I mean, one of my clients uh, is someone who is involved in our work for a long time spiritually, but she's one of the top 10 uh, leaders of a, uh, a major university in the UK. And so, she, you know, she's, She's in charge of a whole big chunk of things where she, you know, she's the one who can say, uh, in effect, uh, as the business leader or the entrepreneurial character there, this is what has to be, even though she also reports to others. So we don't merely talk only to entrepreneurs, but the, 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 the way it works is that we meet people who are undergoing some kind of a change or feeling the need for it, for whom what we are talking about 
and that that ownership of you know not only a great connectedness but uh to use Thich Nhat Hanh's terms interbeing or interpenetration to get that there is especially rooted in our hearts in other words whole bodily access to it is not somehow somewhere outside us there is this access to a quality a sense an intuition of identity that includes everything and everyone yes it's interconnected but it's not us interconnected as somehow separated even to a slight degree individual souls or beings but it is that totality and there's a feeling intuition that arises that anybody can have access to and most of us do at one time or another though they're often little glimpses that you know no one taught us to make much of so i hope this starts to answer your question maybe you can ask more though mm. get me yeah. to say it better um yeah um and what do you find is like, what do you find yourself doing with these people who are going through this kind of transition and, you know, um, perhaps have some sense of this, um, you know, great heart or this intuition of the interconnectedness of them and all things. And what kind of work do you find yourself doing with these people? Like what's key to making that kind of transition, I guess I'm wondering where people end up as well, but what kind of work do you do? Like what's the, if we get into the heart of that, yeah. One of the practices that I translated into our waking down and mutuality work uh, long, long ago uh, is what we call gazing, which, you know, now it's becoming, you know, more and more popular as something people do with one another. Uh, There's a lot of, you know, practice of this in various groups and, and schools. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's been used traditionally by spiritual adepts as a way of silently helping to activate the same quality of being that the more adept character in the dyad uh, mm-hmm. is, is being approached for by the, the, the aspirant, we could say. And uh, meeting in that context is one of the things that we do with people who find themselves uh, curious and open for it and want to go into it. In any case, part of what became evident to me uh, back in the 90s when my work got underway is oh, okay. I'm I'm living this this greater nature, which, following my you know the the primary people who trained me in in this uh, form, I call the heart with a capital H. I even like to spell it with smaller caps E A R T, just so visually it communicates. Yeah, this is the heart, but it's not heart that you automatically think of, which is feeling, emotion, courage, compassion, psychic sensitivity, the heart chakra and what it holds. It is also that greater totality. So it became evident that uh, bodies, these beings, these organisms, once thus awakened and activated themselves, 
become beacons of that on a 24-7, 365 basis. And we help people you know, get attuned to that being part of what's happening. It's a primary part of our service. And, you know, so sure enough, and this is not, this kind of uh, shift is not unfamiliar, I'm sure, to a lot of people who are listening. As soon as you agree with someone to start the work, something starts to cook. You know, Linda likes to point out, speaking of the equality of all this, we're all always transmitting to and receiving from everybody everywhere. And so much leading edge science and physics is talking about entanglement and all these other factors that would tend from those contexts to support uh, this kind of understanding of the, the depth of our actual interconnectedness. So when someone is working from a place of being stably conscious in that deeper identity, as well as continuing to be conscious as a local uh, material being, an ego, and to the degree they're comfortable with it, you know, people in a lot of Buddhist schools wouldn't go there, but, you know, for many people, acknowledging that I have and I am a soul, an individual spiritual essence as well. So all of those qualities of identity wind up coming into play. And a lot of what we do practically is like any other coach. You know, we set up session work uh, on some kind of regular basis. Uh, we like to um, certainly my preference is to work with people in a committed time frame, uh, typically about six months is enough time to, you know, really get some stuff going uh, and yet doesn't assume we're going to be doing this forever. And it's important to be meeting people where they are and a lot of what happens, which has also been going on in the waking down, waking down and mutuality work from the beginning, because this is actually the organism's own way of awakening, or we could say the body's own way of awakening. It's not, you know, the term embodiment is, almost seems to imply something else is awakening, the consciousness, the soul, and then coming into the body. And, and that, you know, when I came up with the term waking down, that was certainly part of what happened. But eventually it became clear to me that it happened because the heart, that greater heart nature, was whole organismically getting activated so that the sense of identity dropped from the head and the mind down into the body and in effect was then revealed to be this greater heart nature coming more fully alive and awake. So in the session work, a lot of what happens, I mean, just yesterday, I was talking with a woman who is already an established coach uh, in another country, uh, English speaking country. And 
she she was talking about uh, things going on in herself that she was she was struggling with. She was you know she was too intense for people, and you know a lot of my conversation with her was, and I, I've used this with other people also. I remember talking to a woman who's a Christian spiritual director, who said, you know, I'm I'm feeling really aligned with my God but my stuff is getting in the way. And I said to her, wait a minute, whose stuff is it? Yours or God's? Not meaning to dismiss and spiritually bypass personal responsibility for, you know, refining our developmental (laughs) capacities for relationship and communication and so forth, but encouraging that deeper recognition that we can't automatically assign to a lower separated self the qualities that we feel like we need to work on and improve, overcome, move beyond, transcend, or whatever. That these may be signature parts of our totality identity, our crystallization as personifications of the totality. Now, you know, what does this matter to a CEO? Well, probably you need to have some kind of inkling that you need to grow in a great big to-be direction, as apparently a lot of CEOs are. But they don't want to be turned into a version of what somebody else is. They're needing to access their fullest potential. And part of our proposition is that when the heart begins to awaken this way, there is this sense of a driving force in us that requires us to keep growing, to keep looking under the rocks, to access all the skills and capacities we need and the attitudes we need. Psychological flexibility is getting a lot of play these days as a necessity. Well, if there's a part of you that's holding all of the opposites of yourself and others, or is instinctively moved to be that conjunctive, to use a word from the integral uh, stages of faith, then you're going to have a lot more capacity for psychological flexibility, etc. This is why I think this work is so important for coaches, because um, I mean, there's a lot of what you that you just shared that I think is relevant. Um, but this idea that, um, you know, if we're only inside our own, I don't know what to call it, but, you know, our own sense, sense of smaller self and, and patterning, and we're trying to fix it from inside of that, often it's reactionary. It's like some parts are critical of others. And it's like, if only I could get rid of that, then I would be okay. And it, it, it it's, it's like kind of um, limited really in terms of what it can actually accomplish yeah. This is why I'm always advocating for for some kind of shift in sense of self. This I like yeah. the way you talk about this drop into mm-hmm. the heart, and because exactly it sounds like that's what it allows for. Yeah, like I can be with myself now from a very different place. You know, a much yeah. more inclusive place yeah. where I'm not fighting, and all the energy that was bound up in that kind of fighting is suddenly 
um, allowed to flow in a different way, you know, mm-hmm. can be harnessed in a different way. I think that's so crucial. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And, and, you know, very well said, and I appreciate the way you're framing it there. And that's exactly the primary thing we're serving. So a lot of what I was doing, you know, with this woman the other day is helping her reframe, you know, you know, I, yeah, you still have to figure out how to not blow people away. Right. But it's not helping to beat yourself up about somehow this is not part of that greater heart nature that is coming alive and awake. You know, it's, it's who you are. There's a lot of, in, in, a, in a lot of the schooling that we get, both psychologically and esoteric spiritually, there's a kind of a, a, a yin bias or using the Indian language, a sattva bias, the qualities of calmness and uh, balance and uh, a a, a quietness, a Mm non-reactivity. And, you know, this gal is a live wire. And by the way, as a woman awakening, you know, I mean, and not to dismiss, I'm... You know, we won't go into all the politics. I'm a firm, passionate champion of Black Lives Matter. But sure enough, so do female lives. And they don't look like male lives. And so do multi and distinctively gendered lives. And so this is about everybody owning their own access to this distinctively and getting that, you know, I mean, Linda's in my primary message, if you could boil it down to as few words as possible, the sun, S-U-N, in your heart, with a capital H, as well as meaning the physical and the psychic and psycho-spiritual, the sun in your heart is rising. That greater nature, from our point of view, just plain old is coming alive and awake as in, as, and through everybody. And I feel like a uh, often, often feel like I, I haven't been able to do much of the job that I felt the heart kind of charted out for, for me to be attending to. I would have hoped to have um, begun to get this sensibility more, you know, more, more fully uh, expressed and clearly available. And I've got a major book to write that's on Linda and I will be working on together that's you know, on the bucket list here um, because I, I don't feel like I've got an uh, a sufficient explication of all this that, that people can readily turn to. You know, what should I read? Well, this is old in this way and that's old in that way. So you know, that's, that's part of my dilemma. But on the other side of that, and speaking of the kind of long term here, uh, my sense is that whether I get particularly good at uh, making this kind of orientation to wisdom available uh, or not, or others take it up and or spontaneously come into it themselves. And, you know, it's like uh, somebody said, you know, you get a lot more done if you don't care who gets the credit. So more power to everybody 
sure enough, you know, in the years since I started my work, uh, people are awakening like popcorn in various qualities all over the planet. But I notice a lot of them are still burdened by exactly that kind of inner self struggle and that sense that they've got to fix this or that part in order to fully be able to own. And there's, there's a, a real taboo in the, in the deeper fields of our identity from being able to give ourselves permission to be by whatever conventional criteria as faulty and flawed and foibled as we all are. But it turns out none of us is perfect. The whole model of the perfectly karma-free, saintly, pure uh, guru, teacher, whoever, has been you know, disproved again and again by all these, uh, you know, I can't say I'm exactly proud to have had one myself, but I'm not unproud. You know, we needed these guru scandals, these you know, topplings from the pedestals so that we could actually start meeting here on a plane where we acknowledge as the foundation that there's an equality in being. And yeah, we've got hierarchical superior developments that others of us go to someone for of all kinds, all the different skills. But that, that meeting in the equality of being is another of the things that's now permeating more and more organizations. Mm-hmm. You know, the CEO as the all-powerful commander of the ship just isn't working mm-hmm. by the confession of a lot of CEOs. Mm. And it, it, do you think that equality of being is because there's uh, like a sense of impersonalness which allows for a loosening of the you know the kind of grasping or competitive nature that a lot of us feel um or is it also because um there's an equality of being because like we, we become more tender and, and, and attuned you know and and open to one another we become more open to one another because that which in us or of us that is not different from or is the same as what is in the other or of the other, as that part, so to speak, which is the all-inclusive part, as that part begins to come alive and awake, more and more self-aware, in other words. Part of what happens spontaneously is the capacity to recognize this in one another, to Mm -hmm. see this and feel this in others, and even in others who aren't developmentally at the place of being able to reciprocate. And so, so the equality is recognized to be intrinsic and yeah, it softens, you know, all of those hard places. It, you know, it doesn't make a competitive person necessarily less competitive, but it changes the foundations of how they are, how their ambition functions. It's not yeah. like not like not like competitive sports and competitive business and everything is going to go away. 
But I think we're in for many changes that will make us much more innately wired for, uh, well, there's, there's two, two words that have become prominent for me uh, in terms of the, the, the meaning of community now. It's like people get into pods together spontaneously. Uh, and uh, one of the qualities comes from the Hawaiian uh, uh, culture uh, that actually I learned about. I mean, I've heard about it for years, but I got the deeper meaning from Mark Benioff, you know, the chairman of Salesforce, uh, who is a very spiritual guy and unabashedly so. And he talks about Ohana, the family. You know, and we that's becoming less and less lip service acknowledgement and more and more, wow, it really is true. We are all one human family. The other I got from Archbishop Desmond Tutu, um, you know, the wonderful, uh, I guess, Anglican, now Emeritus Archbishop uh, of South Africa. Um, and um, his, his word from his tribal tradition is Ubuntu, which basically translated means the persons through whom we become persons. So more and more, we, you know, we, we, are, we are finding this deep family, a kind of singularity in the midst of all the differentiations. And then also with, with creatures and with nature, you know, with all things. And so that kind of, you know, uh, we can legitimately call it a realization, but a lot of the people for whom it's becoming a reality don't particularly care or need to have a badge of some kind of spiritual attainment. This is making them that much more capable of fulfilling their calling, making the difference they're here to make. Yeah, I, I uh, what, what I want to come back to, as well as connecting to what you just said again, but uh, is this a necessity for coaches as well to access uh, this place that actually their very being, you know, we've talked about being a lot and, um, yeah. you know, in a sense, um, perhaps a lot of content in coaching can be focused on doing, you know, like the content of the person they're coaching, the leader, the, 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 the landscape they find themselves in. And then what's the coach doing? What questions are they asking? But actually this other side of the equation of beingness, you know, and how that can activate, there can be a transmission, you know, in fact, there's always a transmission taking place and that actually there can be a transmission of this, um, great heart you know and how that can um yeah transmit and support our clients in their own journey i find that just such a crucial idea too well thank you yeah and that's i would be uh, deeply content to be doing all of my or linda's and my uh, together individual coaching work and and as we put groups together i would have no problem with that, you know, that being the, the clientele, all being coaches, mm. you know, uh, I, I, I need this to matter enough to them that they're willing to invest the time, energy, heart, money, you know, to make it work. 
there, there has to be, you got to have real skin in the game for deep transformation uh, of all kinds. It's got to really matter to you. And I hope through conversations like this, that more and more coaches, and I, and I see that, by the way, among, you know, the other people who you've, you've interviewed, and, uh, I want to listen to some of the, uh, the recordings, because I, you know, I, I just love the work, Joel, that you and your, your team at Coaches Rising are doing. But to me, coaches uh, are one of the keys to the future for humanity, much more than the, the traditionally hallowed spiritual teacher or, or, or in any tradition. And I'm not saying that those qualities of communication and participation don't continue to be necessary. But I think coaches are built and, and positioned to make the kinds of differences for people that add the least amount of baggage to what's going on in the transaction between us uh, and are able to communicate the most necessary things. So to me, you know, I don't need a coach to be thinking, wow, I'm walking around in a state that's simultaneously nirvikalpa samadhi, some of the yogic language from India, and plain old ordinary being me. How amazing. I don't need them to have that language, you know, or to have the, the thought desire. You know, I want to awaken. Uh, but the desires that you were just pointing to, you know, to be able to, to be with our people that much more, in effect, nakedly, you know, without losing their and our capacity to, you know, to make sure to, you know, observe the interactions and participate in such a way that we're serving what needs most to be served. Um, you know, that, that to me is, is so exciting. It really is. Yeah, it does feel, I think it's a good good kind of um, question to explore this sense of where we find ourselves as a species and the role that coaches can play and how um, that I, I do feel that, that, you know, whilst coaching does have potential for like power dynamics, you know, in fact, it does, you know, there is a certain power dynamic, but we can make that conscious, you know, um, it, it's it's the way that the philosophy of coaching makes it less likely that there's going to be issues, I think. And so it's more democratizable. And, um, you know, I think in that, in that sense, and, um, you know, if you look at another, this, this other streams that are feeding into coaching, like this massive interest in, in spirituality and mindfulness and beingness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think in part that is, um, and it's, it's being catalyzed because of the complexity of the world, you know, because of the, um, the chaos that we found ourselves mm -hmm. in. And I think that um, where am I going with that? It's like, I'm trying to say it, it, it's um, makes it much more grounded in a sense. Like um, mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be the exploration of our beingness, you know, like McKin you said, McKinsey are into it. It's not because we've, heard of exotic ideas of spirituality and we become seekers it's because we know we need we know we need it you know 
it's in yeah. our faces and we we when we get taste the taste of it we go this is this is the the when i access this this is what will allow me to um remain resilient and creative in the, exactly. in in the face of everything that's going on and i think that was, that's what makes it all different these there's these different kind of elements all coming together right now uh, that make me um that encourage me you know about the role that coaches can play yeah yeah, yeah well thank you you know uh, uh i I've, I've been you know taking various kinds of training for coaches um you know to to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm not just assuming well you know i'll just call it coaching and do what i do I knew that wasn't going to work. And sure enough, I've learned a lot and continue to, and I'm very grateful to my mentors. Um, you know, quite a number of them. Thankfully, there's a lot available online to help people do their business as a coach in various ways. The primary training I, I got was from Evan Pagan, mm. who has this uh, virtual coach certification that I took about a little over a year ago. And, you know, he makes a beautiful little graph, a very simple graph. So if, so you start at the top of the page, and this is a line of how much reliable, viable, and readily available support we have, each of us, in our lives and our work. And that line has been tending to go down. We don't have the families. We don't have the lifelong loyalty in the corporation. There's a whole lot of support system that people have been losing in the midst of so much deeper individuation and many of the other changes that you're, you're referring to. Uh, at the same time, um, there is more and more information that we're having to process. Hmm. And a lot of it is increasingly chaotic and you know, multidimensional, different sides and qualities often appearing to be mutually exclusive. So that meeting point, you know, he drew a circle right at the intersection of those two lines. And he said, that's where coaching comes in. And the need for it is gonna grow and grow and grow for some time to come. Uh, and and I, I agree. And I feel that what you're talking about, uh, one of the ways that I've been characterizing the condition the quality of we might call awakening or realization. But to me, let's retool this a little bit so we're not burdening the conceptual frame with things that have all these other meanings, potentially and traditionally and historically. So, you know, the phrase that came to me is existential intelligence. Well, it turns out I didn't come up with that. In fact, apparently it was coined back in the 90s, um, around the same time that Daniel Goldman came out with emotional intelligence, uh, a Harvard professor named Howard Gardner, who had written a book, Frames of Mind Toward a Theory of Multiple Intelligences. He had written that book about a dozen years earlier. He began surmising there might be an existential intelligence around 1995. Uh, but he wasn't sure that it really was altogether different from cognitive intelligence or IQ generally, or, or pieces of the other kinds of intelligence that are potential for us. But he tended to define it as the capacity to raise and ponder the big questions of life. 
So, you know, it's a kind of capacity to mull over, think over, feel into these, these big concepts and questions. You know, what is life? Why are we here? You know, what's, what's the meaning of life and death, et cetera. And, you know, and he acknowledged that, you know, everybody, even kids, you know, have this kind of pondering that goes on from time to time. But what we're talking about is much more of a deeper being intelligence. And, you know, you might literally use that, that phrase uh, as well, or that hybrid of words, existential intelligence, being intelligence. The key thing is, to me, it's got two key qualities to it. One is that there, there is a, a foundational sense of existence or being that we discover is unshakable in the midst of the changes that life throws at us. You know, we can be harrowing grief, and yet there is this fundamental joy, even, certainly a quality of wellness, a basic okayness that gives all of the unokay things that happen room to happen, we can respond and react to them and go through what we have to go through. We're not trying to, needing to edit ourselves, except wanting to make sure we're communicating optimally with, with others and, and, and taking proper self-care. So there's that quality of, a, of an anchoring in being, in that, in that sense of to be, what I, what I am being here, that, that is attuned to that all-inclusiveness that, you know, you and I have been talking about here. The other quality, however, is an orientation that comes with this. It really is an intelligence that naturally moves toward a deepening and refining of our discernment. So like, for instance, the woman I was talking with, getting that, wow, she, you know, she was inadvertently assigning uh, wrongness to qualities in her that are also part of her greater uh, language that doesn't translate necessarily into the business world, but her greater goddess nature, mm-hmm. her, her divine womanhood, if you will. Uh, and that, you know, by, by cutting that part of herself off, she was perpetuating that kind of inner argument or dynamic. So that anchoredness then develops the discernment to more and more. Linda has this great phrase uh, or kind of maxim. Um, living and speaking your truth is not a popularity contest. And all of us know who have dared to live and speak our truth that you're going to get pushback, you're going to get blowback, you're going to not be understood. And for many of us, that includes trying to communicate to even family and other people we love things that matter profoundly and centrally to us and having other people's eyes glaze over. So there's a, there's a daring to come into our own that coaches can serve, and I agree with you, can serve uniquely. I think that, you know, I mean, well, it, it, one, of the, one, of the, one of the things that, that I'm not now perpetuating in any conscious way is the idea 
of an ongoing active relationship, you know, to one who has been one's teacher. Hmm. Um, and, you know, of course, traditionally people have, you know, gotten what they came to the teacher for and gone on, but there's a sense of, of, of a kind of a fealty or loyalty uh, to a tradition, to a way of speaking, to a way of articulating. And, you know, my orientation is, yeah, we discover, we can discover an abiding, ongoing, I like to say kind of uh, loosely knit, but deeply connected, uh, that connection in that heart nature, that mutual knowing, uh, which is wonderful. But if we're really being honest and, and continuing to dare to move forward with our own calling and mission, sense of purpose, uh, we will find ourselves articulating things our own ways and being able to serve people our own ways. And that, again, is where I feel like coaches rising, you know, bravo, more and more of us doing this. It's needed. Yeah, as we um, just to reflect on what you shared about the um, the discernment, you know, I think that is, you know, perhaps a quality I've seen that's incredibly important alongside the sense of um, presence or, you know, great heart. I mean, I mean, I, I'm I've, of course I'm not as familiar with that um, experience, that way of being as you. I'm making assumptions, perhaps, but. <laughs> this sense of um, knowingness of truth that we can attune to together in mutuality that um, you know it when it's there, you know, and, and there's a sense of that, that you, you become aligned and attuned to, to, to that truth in a way that creates discernment. And that discernment is an intelligence that then becomes embodied, you know? Exactly. So it's not just, kind of spacious open presence exactly. that's okay with everything but it's also it's also this evolving discernment and intelligence which can kind of come come in and crystallize more clearly as someone's calling you know i think that's a beautiful so i think calling is intimately often connected with that the energy of that um that discernment that's taking place much, and that yeah yeah it very, it very much is and um yeah, one of the things that, uh, you know, I, I mean, as I got into this work, I, I did a lot of listening and, and I continued to, because, you know, if you remember where I started out, it's like, you know, I don't, for all I know, none of the old rules apply. We're starting from scratch here. You know, I mean, to me, the world that I had grown up in with my guru was, that was the, the, the divine premise of existence. And now it was dashed and against all the rules I had gone through this shift. So I do a lot of listening. And from the very early years, when people would go through this kind of fundamental shift, one of the ways they would voice it is, wow, I'm here. I'm here like never before. And the I that they were referring to included in, a, in a, a, a kind of a seamless way their ego, their soul, their deep beingness, their oneness with all, 
all of the parts. And part of what we came to recognize over the years, and this is something that I'm, uh, it's important to, to add into the mix. And we don't have time to, to go into detail, but part of the understanding that underlies this is that apparently humanity has gone through a necessary differentiation or disassociation, dissociation of our mind and consciousness from the material and natural world, including our own bodies. And that this has shown up in cultures as what we could call loosely and generally a spirit matter split with the spirit side being privileged or, or the mind side. You know, some people wouldn't think of themselves as spiritual at all, but the mind, you know, so uh, you, know, you have Teilhard de Chardin, the, the Jesuit monk and scientist saying in my training, you know, spirit was, you know, the main thing and matter was uh, at best uh, the, the helpful handmaiden of spirit and at worst it's mortal enemy. And then you have scientists like Sir Francis Bacon, if I'm getting the right Bacon, saying, um, let's put mother nature to the rack and torture her secrets out of her. So the degree to which this split, or you know, in, in, in the Buddhist tradition and Hinduism and elsewhere, you know, an orientation toward a getting out of here, liberation from the wheel of birth and death or salvation and going and joining God and Jesus in heaven. And so that split is quite pervasive. And as we come into our own in these ways, that dissipates dramatically. And, and there, you know, there is this sense of intrinsic embodiment being a whole body in nature that is also attuned and open in these ways. So there's a, there's a huge potential for this kind of shift. And it's, you know, the reason I'm, I'm speaking about this spirit matter split is because it's, it's disruptive of so much of our conditioning even advanced esoteric conditioning. And it requires a new developmental appreciation. You know, so that among other things, we stop beating up on our ego and our thinking mind and our reactivity, not therefore to be able to just wallow in it and indulge it all, but you know, getting, getting that much more capable of holding the different parts and helping our people, the folks who we're coaching do the same thing. So, yeah, that's that's great. It's a beautiful place to come to a close. I think um, just to, you're struck by what you said about spiritual teachers. Maybe there's a taboo of teachers even being able to speak about their own inner uh, world. You know, or, or or people who are awakening students who awaken and they're still struggling. You know, and they think that's wrong. You know, I'm still yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really quite pervasive. And we, you know, a lot of our work, you were asking, what do we do with people? We do a lot of reframing. We do a lot of asking, well, wait a minute, is something actually wrong with that? Or is the wrong part just something about 
you know, your impact on others or how you're tending to view yourself that, you know, maybe you can reorient and outgrow here. Mm. So. Thanks for this conversation, Samuel. I feel like we've gone in, you know, we've covered a lot of material here and um, I'd love to give you the chance to share where we can find out more about your work for people listening. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> we've been going through this reinvention. Uh, so we haven't, you know, our, our, our main site, samuelandlinda.com is very dated. Um, although if you go to the calendar, you can find ways to, to attune with us. You can go to my LinkedIn page, Samuel Bonder, and that's like Daniel with an S, but presumably your, your listeners will, will see that. Um, and that's kind of the most up-to-date presentation of my orientation to coaching. There's also a number of things I've posted there, including uh, an article on existential intelligence that uh, says some of the things we've been talking about here and summarizes it to a degree. Uh, and um, I would I would say the best way to be in touch is is to please just get in contact with me through info at Human Sun Institute. That's S U N. Info at humansuninstitute.com. Uh, and you know we can send you uh, references and so forth. There's there's a a page we'll be updating on. A, a, looks like I'll be doing monthly or every other month, uh, a live online event that will be addressing these things. So one place you can go if you, if you uh, Google Synergize, S-Y-N-E-R-G-I-Z-E, your next emergence, very likely it'll bring you to a page, humansigninstitute.com forward slash synergize hyphen your hyphen next hyphen emergence that may be a little out of date. We've got to update for the next one and we may change the wording. We're in flux here. So I just encourage you to get in touch. Both Linda and I definitely have room for uh, other uh, coaching clients. And there are also things we offer for free that put you in touch more with our general spiritual work, uh, but we'll be finding ways to, to reach out you know, more fully to others and to make things available, um, you know, for people who aren't necessarily looking for the spiritual formulations. Hmm. Cool. We can link to this on the page of the podcast as well. So, okay, great. Good. Yeah. We, yeah. you and I can work out those details. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks, Sanyo. Yeah, you're very welcome. I really appreciate the opportunity. 